we're so glad you're here. Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Team Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to Dr. Kara Uwe of Decode Insomnia about, drum roll, how to help our teens get a better night's sleep. And, uh, you know, it's not like Steph and I have ever dealt with this personally and Mm -hmm. with our kids. I just want to start, I don't know what you were like in high school, but I can tell you that nothing made me happier than to be up at two in the morning. Like the house was quiet. It was kind of like mine at the time. And it was a big bone of contention in my house. Like my father hated that I stayed up that late, but I loved it. I did not stay up so late. I was definitely, it's funny, I do it as, a, as an adult, but I did not do it as a kid. No, I felt like I, I had, to go, had to go to bed and had to get my sleep because I knew I would be crabby and couldn't function if I did not. Oh, yeah, no, I knew that too, but <laughs> it didn't impact my choice. <laughs> so I was thinking back on raising tweens and teens around sleep. I have this one story. I still laugh over it because it is... I don't know. I don't know if it was wrong or if it was right, but I had my two younger kids who are four years apart going to bed at 9.30 at night, which is, I think one, the youngest went at 8.30 and then the next one went at 9.30. And the 9.30 one was in middle school, which was a huge fight because she felt like, first of all, why is she being lumped with the, the youngest one? And then also, I guess most of her friends were going to bed later. But for whatever reason, she was more pleasant the next day and we made it work. So we go to a pediatrician appointment and the doctor says to her, what time do you go to sleep? And she says, 9.30. And the doctor goes, oh my God, that's amazing. Okay, I just want to tell you that was the last time she went to bed at 9.30. We got in the car and she said to me, even the doctor thinks I go to bed too early. (laughs) Right? Like I said, I said, doc. Yeah, I said to the doctor on another visit, I go, you know, you really messed with our bedtime. <laughs> like, don't get that enthusiastic about anything that someone's doing for their teenager. Oh my God, it's so true. Well, and there is this inherent fight between parent, at least in our household, on the whole bedtime routine, schedule, hygiene. I mean, there's so much around it because we all need different things, right? And so just by definition, like you're you're trying to parent this kid who you think is like either completely crabby or falling apart because they don't have enough sleep or aren't allowing themselves enough sleep or aren't like doing the things they should be doing before they go to sleep. And yet it's kind of like, it's my body. It's my, like, I don't know. I feel like it, the setup is so hard on it. It's like, it reminds me when the kids were toddlers and they'd be like falling apart. They're like, I'm not tired. <laughs> They were so tired. But what do you do with your 16-year-old or your 17-year-old? I feel like it's just, it is an inherent fight. It is a a difficult thing to convince someone else that their body needs to go to sleep. Like they have to think that themselves. But the, the problem right now with parenting, and I don't, I think my, I didn't really feel it. I think just in a few years, it's changed so much because of COVID that when we talk about sleep hygiene, it's connected to mental wellness. And so I, I of course, feel very committed to raising children who have mental wellness, and yet I have so little power. I can make them go to their room, but I I can't make them sleep, actually. Like, that's impossible. So it it is really fraught. And, you know, fortunately, Dr. Uwe has a lot of suggestions for how we can get to this this to happen, but you still need buy-in at the end of the day. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. And I feel like it is one of those ones that it is, 
it's really hard to have a conversation about it. I remember somebody we talked to, one of the experts <laughs> over the many years we've been doing this, would say that we should say to them, well, okay, well, if you have this many hours of homework and you're working these hours and you're telling me you need seven and a half or eight hours of sleep, because that's what they've reported to me, where do these other pieces fit in? Like, like everything else, putting it back on them. But they're the ones who have to come up with what that is. Right? Like, well, I don't know. I don't have any, I don't know how someone makes someone else fall asleep. Like, you know, no, you can you make can't. them go to the room. It's not, it's not humanly possible to do that. No. But I also had this additional problem, which was that Dan and I were not on the same page. Like, and I don't know if he wasn't on the same page because I wanted it to be enforced and sometimes have him enforce it and he's not the enforcer. But we had a moment where he and my youngest were playing around. Like, you know, I don't know what they were doing and I was leaving to go out. And I begged Dan, I said, please, I'm begging you. I have to get him up in the morning and get him to school. I'm begging you to get him to bed by whatever, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> whatever the time was. And so I, I guess I must have caught a smirk on the way out of the door because I just stood, I stood outside the door for a while and they waited a second and the two of them started cracking up. Like basically like there's no way in hell this kid is going to bed at that time. And I just opened the door and I was like, come on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. I was I was also fighting against a dad who thought it was too much fun to stay up late with the kids. Exactly. I was just telling this the other night where I'd have the kids all quiet and they smelled good and they're like all calm. And then Disney would come walking in the house late from work and like, you know, think we should turn it into a three ring circus and get everybody as worked up as possible. I'm like, Oh. Okay, I just want to remind you, I have Disney Dad. You have Pancake Dad. Oh, I do have Pancake. That's true. I know. It's so yeah. hard being a dry cereal over here that I forget. I don't even know my own name. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other piece with sleep is that it's really hard to know how much you need it till you don't have it, right? It's very hard to be on the proactive side of sleep. Like, very few people walk around saying, like, wow, I'm so well-rested. I feel so good. It's it's always the other side, like, oh, my God, I had no sleep. I'm exhausted, right? So it is one of those things that, like, I feel like it, it's just way easier to get it wrong than to actually get it right, especially with teenagers. Okay, guys, we're about to embark on a conversation with Dr. Kara Uwe. And she has some really good tips. I love them. I have been thinking about them for myself because I have trouble sleeping. But I also do know that we cannot make another human being sleep. So (laughs) at the end of the day, maybe have your kid listen to this with you. And we wish you the best of luck. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Dr. Uwe is the founder of Decode Insomnia. 
an organization that provides education, resources, and services for teens with insomnia and sleep timing issues, as well as their parents. She's also the host of the Decode Project podcast. Dr. Rui, thank you so much for being here with us. All right, so sleep. It's so complicated for teenagers. It's so complicated for adults too. But teens in particular, what makes it so hard for them to sleep? And is eight to 10 recommended hours of sleep realistic at all? It has never happened in my house. Yes, as you mentioned, so I'm always talking about how the teen years are like a perfect storm for insomnia, but you also mentioned that adults also struggle, and the world, I would say, is just not very set up for anybody to sleep well. But I think all of the reasons why it's hard to sleep well are just heightened in the teen years. So I could, you'll have to stop me because I could go on about this topic for a long, long time, but I'll try to be concise. If we think about what's happening in the teen years, there's a few key, key things that are really important to know about. One of them is that, and most people know this, the body clock tends to run later. And so it's very hard for teens to get to bed earlier, and then they have to often wake up hours before their body wants to wake up in order to get to school. Early school times are a problem. And then on top of that, if you think about from a social standpoint, obviously electronics are not great for anybody in terms of sleep, but I think they're particularly tricky for teens to get off because of the fact that, I mean, electronics are addictive, but also that's when a lot of teens are socializing. And in the teen years, that connection and being with peers is so important. And then also, if you just think about where they are in terms of kind of developmentally and where they're supposed to be at, teens really value freedom. They really don't like being on uh, regimented schedules. They're also, they have a lot to process at that time. So they're often, you know, they're trying to figure out a lot in terms of their future, in terms of who they want to be and who they want to be around. And so that can often lead to that busy mind that makes it hard to wind down. So there's just so many different reasons why these poor teens are very set up to both not be able to get to sleep on time, but then they also have to wake up early. So Then what ends up happening is that because teens are very, very sleep-deprived, that ends up fueling other types of behaviors, like napping, like sleeping in, like using caffeine, like defaulting more to phones to kind of boost their energy. And then that stuff actually then just fuels the problem even further. So I find that especially maybe October, November, after they've been in school for a while, it just has, you know, it has just become such a major issue that it's then very difficult to kind of you know, for them to dig themselves out of that hole of sleep deprivation and needing to rely on these things to to kind of just get by and get through the day. The second question you asked me was about if eight to 10 hours is truly realistic. So I would say it depends. So many teens in the summer are getting eight to 10 hours, and that's because some of that perfect storm has been taken away. They're not having to wake up early for school anymore. And so it depends on the context. And I think it's very difficult for most teens when they're in school, and they're also juggling extracurriculars and having to get homework done to get to carve out that time to get the eight to 10 hours. But it is doable in some situations, I would say. You know, there are some teens, for example, who maybe don't have to start school as early. So it's doable in those situations. But it is very tricky for all those reasons I just mentioned. You touched on this earlier. Let's talk about stress and anxiety. Do they impact sleep? Absolutely. And and I guess I didn't even touch on that in a major way. But yes, that's, I mean, that's a, a huge thing that can really impact our ability to wind down and settle into both sleep, but then also a good quality of sleep. So definitely this, the, the increase in stress, anxiety in the teen years, and particularly now, I'd say, is, is a huge factor for why sleep is so difficult for many teens. And I think just to add to that, there's also what the stress and anxiety can then fuel 
which indirectly impacts sleep, right? So often when people are more stressed, more anxious, they're defaulting more to screens or they're defaulting to uh, sleeping in to maybe avoid things during the day. And so that can also then fuel the sleep issue. You brought up school start times. You know, for anyone who's had a teenager waking up before it's light out, you know what a brutal, brutal task that is. There are districts around the country that have changed their start times to be later for adolescents in particular. Are there studies showing what impact that has had? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there have been numerous studies that have shown the various impacts, things like better academic performance, there's less absenteeism or lateness to school, there is less uh, oppositional kind of acting out behaviors as well. I believe there was also a study that showed a significant decrease in car crashes as well. So there's a whole host of things that can improve with those later start times. However, I will say that that's just one of the ingredients as to why teens can't sleep well. So pushing back when school starts takes off some of the pressure, but it doesn't address everything. And so it is, I think, a helpful thing. And often if I have a teen who can have a first period spare, I will encourage them to do that because it just makes everything else easier. But there are other things that need to be addressed. Can you explain CVTI and why that helps sleep? Sure. So CBTI stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, and it is the first-line treatment for insomnia. It's actually recommended before medication because it works as well as medication and tends to the effects tend to last longer. So many people may know of CBT or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for other things because it's very commonly used for mood and anxiety, and there is some overlap with the treatment, but there, CBTI also has a number of other strategies that are completely separate. So people who have done CBT have, have not necessarily benefited from all the stuff that they can obtain from CBTI. So what is it? It essentially takes all of the best practices that we have for addressing insomnia, and there are five key ones, and it puts it together in a treatment. So a lot of people know of sleep hygiene. That's just one of the five, and actually is the least effective of the five. There's also something called stimulus control, where essentially what you're doing is you're retraining the relationship with the bed. So it's very common in individuals who don't sleep well to have an unhelpful association with the bed, where the bed is very paired with that state of alertness and not being able to settle easily. And often with insomnia, it's also paired with anxiety and tension. And so stimulus control is a way of retraining that association with the bed so that the bed is associated more with that quick to settle, sleepy good quality sleep state. The third element is something called sleep restriction therapy. And this is actually the most effective treatment for insomnia. Essentially, the idea is that you are restricting the opportunity for sleep and the time in bed. And that puts a lot of, it puts some pressure on the system to essentially help to build the right cues for sleep at the right time and drive for sleep at the right time. So it's extremely effective. A lot of people don't know about that particular strategy, but that is a strategy where I can see improvement in a week or two. And people can have almost a complete 180 with that strategy in combination with stimulus control. Can you give us an example for that one that's so effective? Can you give us like, what do we do? Because I want to do the most effective one. Yeah, yeah. Many people who are not sleeping well, the window in which they are in bed and they're trying to sleep is often very wide. And I like to compare this a little bit to like if you were to paint on a really big canvas and you only have so much paint, it's hard to fill up that entire canvas with paint right? You can't fill up that whole thing. So what ends up happening is that it creates this opportunity for not being able to sleep 
Or even if you can fill up the entire canvas, it's kind of like that, you know, when the paint's not very thick and you kind of see through it. So it creates that opportunity for both insomnia or periods of being awake, but also periods where the sleep is very light and broken. So essentially what you're doing with sleep restriction, and it's a little bit more than just this, but you're shortening the window for sleep. And so it's kind of like you're shrinking the size of the canvas, and that allows you to fill up that, sh- that smaller canvas with the same amount of paint. But you do that for a time-limited period, and that can really help with, as I mentioned, you know, filling up that time with sleep, which also then provides individuals who have not been sleeping well with confidence that they can sleep. And so that can also help too. So the last two are relaxation training or relaxation therapy to help learn how to calm the body. And then the last one is cognitive therapy. So helping to address the busy mind as well as the thoughts and thought patterns that tend to drive more insomnia. Those are the different elements of CBTI. And the great thing about CBTI is that it's a pretty short treatment. So For CBT, for other things like mood and anxiety, typically that's maybe 12 to 20 sessions. But for CBTI, traditionally it's maybe about four sessions. And sometimes you can see improvement after the first or second session. So as opposed to things like anxiety and mood, which take more like months to see improvement, you can see improvement sometimes days to weeks. So it's a really effective treatment. And it's often what I find that people don't know about. We know why kids aren't sleeping enough. And we know how critical it is for their mental health. But what do we do as the parent? So it really depends. So as I mentioned before, you know, teens are very set up for sleep issues. It's also a lot harder for teens to address sleep issues. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that the things that typically need to happen, at least for a short period of time to get sleep on track, often really go against what teens really value. Right, So it does require, to get sleep on track, you typically do need to be on a more regimented schedule, at least for the first little bit. You do need to be doing things like being really careful about screens, putting away phones, you know, stuff like that. And so it just, it really goes against what most teens want. Things have to get pretty bad before teens are ready to invest in making changes to their sleep. And so I'd say as a parent, it depends on where your teen is at. So if your teen is in a place to really make changes to their sleep, then well, there's actually always three things that I get that I suggest people start with, but they may benefit from a course of CBTI or a kind of modified version of that. And I actually have a program I can tell you about that that is a version of CBTI but takes into account the challenges uh, that teens face. Now, if a teen is not ready to make changes to their sleep, it tends to be really counterproductive to even sometimes talk about sleep or make any recommendations. So I would say if your teen is really not interested, I actually probably wouldn't broach the topic too much. And rather, I would do some stuff behind the scenes. So I actually have created a resource around this because this is such a common conversation that I have with parents. And so I've created a resource called Five Tips to Help Your your Teen Sleep Better, Even If They're Not Ready. Because there is some stuff that parents can do to shape the environment or just to shape the context so that it's easier for teens to sleep better. But of course, you can't force teens to change their behaviors or build new habits or build new skills until they're ready. And so that tip sheet actually breaks down what can you do behind the scenes. And then when your window of opportunity opens and they're wanting your advice or wanting your suggestions, then it also goes through the different things that you can recommend or you can help them with. Now, if you have a teen who's kind of in the middle, somewhere in there, then as I mentioned, there's always kind of three places where I get or I suggest people start because... 
a lot of the traditional advice is very difficult to do, right? Put your phone away an hour or two before bedtime, stop napping, wake up at the same time every day. And I find that if you try to recommend that stuff from the get-go to a teen who is ambivalent and tired and has maybe tried this stuff before and it hasn't gone well, it's really tricky to get traction. So there's a few things that I recommend. The first one has to do with understanding when they can expect sleep. So because a lot of teens are night owls and there's a lot of things that can actually shift the timing of the clock later very easily in the teen years, I find a lot of teens are trying to go to sleep way too early. And so that sets them up for a lot of issues because they're showing up maybe two, three, four hours before their body is ready for sleep. And they're lying there thinking they should be able to sleep. And so then they start to get frustrated and anxious and they may start to get, you know, they may pull out their phone because they're not sure what else to do or they're trying to drown out some of that frustration or anxiety. And so that just snowballs on them and it makes it so much worse. So that first thing I always suggest that people do is to have an understanding of when their body is actually going to be ready for sleep and then not time sleep until then. The second thing that I suggest that people do has to do with stimulus control that I talked about earlier. So that stimulus control or retraining the body to associate the bed with kind of that sleep state as opposed to what I call alert state is one of the most effective things that you can do. And often when I'm meeting with people after things have gotten better and I ask them why, they always point to this one thing. So what that involves, though, is staying out of bed until you're sleepy, not getting into bed until you're really on the edge of sleep. And if you're awake in the middle of the night or too early, then you get out of bed and you don't return until you're sleepy. So it works really well, but it's very, very difficult to do in the moment. And I've found that most teens can't sustain it for long enough to see benefit unless they really have a good alternative plan. So they need somewhere else to be and they need other things to do in those moments when they're supposed to be out of bed. So I talk to people about setting up what I call a cozy nook. And so it's a place that they're going to want to be in the moment that is just kind of like an alternate to their bed. So that instead of defaulting back to their bed, they have somewhere else to be and somewhere else to go. And then from there, they can get into bed once they're sleepy. The sleep kit that I mentioned is about having things to do so they don't default onto their phone when they can't sleep. So that's creating, you know, a little kit of stuff that they can go to so that they can have something to do that can help anchor their minds so they're not flooded so much by worries and other thoughts. And that can allow them, often can be very helpful just in terms of allowing them to get sleepy. And then the third thing that I always suggest people start with is really optimizing their light environment. So one of the reasons why we're all so set up for sleep issues is that we just live in a world where we can get light all of the time. And that's not actually how things, you know, were, were or, sorry, it's not how things you know, ideally are supposed to be for sleep. And so we ideally get a lot of light in the morning, during the day, then we get less light in the, in the few hours before sleep. And then ideally it's dark overnight, but now we can just have light all of the time. That's a, a real barrier to being able to sleep well, because if you don't have a handle on when you're getting light and when you're getting dark and dim conditions, then it's very, very difficult to, to sleep better and also to benefit from a, a lot of the other strategies. So there's a lot of simple things that can be done to optimize the light environment. Even if teens aren't ready to put away the phones and the screens yet, there's a lot of things that you can do, like blue light blocking glasses or filters or just turning off unnecessary lights. There's a lot of different things that are fairly easy and products as well that are fairly inexpensive that can really, really be game changers. So those are the three things. Time sleep properly, have another place to be and other things to do so that you're not defaulting back to your phone and back to your bed and spending too much time awake in bed. And then that last one is optimizing light. So we're going to wrap up with the question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about teenagers and in this case, sleep? So 
I think, you know, I just, I, I've been speaking the whole time about how teens are in this perfect storm. And I think, I often hear from both teens and parents that this is just not something that can be addressed, or this is just how it is in the teen years. And that is really not the case, although it's more tricky, it's more challenging in the teen years, we have really great strategies. They just need to be implemented in the correct way and in the correct order. And I've seen many, many teens who have been able to see significant improvements, not just to their sleep, but also on all the other things that sleep impacts. So their mental health, their ability to be productive and focus, and also how they view themselves, right? Because a lot of tired teens tend to view themselves as not so effective or, or lazy, right? Things like that. So it can really have this huge impact on so many different areas of life. Dr. Kara Ui, there is so much to learn about sleep and how to improve it. But at the end of the day, you've given us tremendous information and an understanding that we should all prioritize this, ourselves and our kids. So thank you so much for what you do. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com at evergreenpodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.